0: The 0-2. Swing and a miss. Of course he got him with the splitter. Another strikeout for Kevin Gosman. Over eight shutout, seven strikeouts
1: for Kevin Gosman. It's early, but he is turning in his best performance as a Blue Jay today in Boston.
0: Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters brought to you by Miller Light, the original light beer, and Swelling and Ben Nicholson Smith special drop of ATL today. We are going to let you in on the interview that we conducted with Kevin Gosman way back in, uh, in spring training as he was preparing for his first season in a Blue Jays uniform. Obviously off to like a really solid start, uh, with the Blue Jays. The splitter is legit. We all knew that, uh, but I guess Blue Jays fans hadn't quite seen it up close yet just a devastating pitch played off of uh, his fastball a little bit of a sneaky change-up from Kevin Gosman as well don't sleep on the change-up that really rounds out his repertoire and and stops him from being just purely a two-pitch pitcher but he's gonna that, that's the bread and butter fastball and splitter obviously and we talked to him about that uh in Florida talked to him about the importance of those two pitches um we talked to him about Robbie Ray who uh, obviously is going to be connected to just because of uh you know the, the off-season happenings and everything and then what Robbie Ray did in the Blue Jays uniform last year but these are two guys who actually know each other going back so talk to him a little bit about that talk to him about his off season talk to him about yoga talk to him uh, about a lot of stuff kevin Gosman, just like an interesting dude and, and happy to elaborate on what he's been through in his life and his career it's a very interesting journey that he's had through uh through mlb so uh, that's what you're gonna hear here today on at the letters and without any further ado here is our interview from spring training with kevin Gosman. All right. Thanks for taking the time, man. It felt like for a long time you were going to be a Toronto Blue Jay and it uh, got close, obviously, a few times that it didn't. But did it feel a little inevitable to you as well? Because I think for us, we were like, man, the Blue Jays cannot quit Kevin Gossman.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seemed like over the last two years before this offseason, you know, they always kind of um, were one of the first teams to reach out. Um, and Ross kind of always always liked me I guess and so yeah we almost got a deal done in 19 and then you know even after I had the qualifying offer they were one of the teams that offered me a a multi-year deal and so yeah going into the offseason it was kind of like we expected the Blue Jays to be one of the teams that would be one of the first to reach out. How well do you get to
1: know like in that situation other GMs because you've been around the league for a long time 10 years since you've been drafted now so you'd have a familiarity at least with with some of them and you would know some even better but if a GM is kind of pursuing you, how well do you get to know that front office in, in the course of those discussions?
2: Yeah, you know, that was one of the cool things about the process was I had a Zoom call with Ross and Shannon and and Pete Walker. And so, you know, to, to be able to kind of see them and be able to ask my questions and get answers right away um, was really cool. But we were also on a timeline. You know, it was I think it was about five days until the deadline when, when we first kind of had some serious talks with teams. And so it was like, Hey, we need to get on a zoom call. And, um, me and my wife were actually on vacation. And so she still to this day is like the one vacation we have a year (laughs) was all about you, of course, you know? And so, (laughs) you know, she still gets a little mad and bitter about that, but, um, yeah, it was nice to be able to just kind of, like I said, ask questions and have the instant feedback and, be able to kind of bounce ideas off of each other of, of what to expect where were you guys at a wellness resort nice pretty much just like we did like silk yoga you hang in like a silk yoga was meant to be for ra- relaxation but it was my phone was just going crazy and it seemed like we had phone call after phone call and so you know, that's where my wife was kind of like, all right, you know, we take one trip a year. And of course this is the trip we decided to take right when this deadline came out. Cause before we didn't yeah. know about this deadline. And so, um, it just happened that it, it, it worked out that way.
0: So people won't know we're actually in the Blue Jays yoga
2: studio right now. Are you using this space pretty regularly? I haven't yet. I didn't even know. I mean, there's so many rooms in here that it's like, you can walk past a room and it's like, Oh, I didn't know we had that, Yeah, you know? And so <laughs> there's just so much, so much cool stuff here. Like this room, multiple big meeting rooms that we have, but yeah, you can get lost around here pretty, pretty easily. But are you, you are a yoga guy then I take it, right? Yeah. I like yeah. doing yoga. Um, yeah. I'm kind of more of a Pilates in the off season, like twice a week. Like I'm a loose guy. I got to be stretching a lot. And so that's kind of where it's, you know, knowing yourself. I'm not a guy that's and they're squatting 500 pounds. Um, I wish I could, but that's just not my not my game, you know. So
1: as we record this now, it's spring training. So obviously preparing for the season. And you've had the chance to get to know this facility, your teammates, uh, the coaches, the front office. What are those kind of first impressions of being a Toronto Blue Jack?
2: Yeah, it's been great. You know, uh, more than anything, you notice the people here really want to give you whatever you need to be the best player you can be. And so from the training staff to Ross to really everybody that's kind of in the background, they do whatever they can to make sure you're as prepared as you can be to go out and and win baseball games. And and that's the cool thing, you know, picking up a guy like Chapman while we were already here is just a huge shot of adrenaline, you know, and the excitement when, when that trade went on the TV, you know, everybody was like, where's he going? Where's he going? And then he's coming here. And it was, it was a lot of excitement. So, Yeah, everybody's been great and super first class. And, you know, when I did my research going into the offseason, when the Blue Jays reached out, that was one thing that was a constant with every guy that I talked to was just how, you know, you'd be amazed how many guys I talked to that. Played for 10 different major league teams, and they said, you know, my best time I ever had in my career was with the Blue Jays. You know, they treated my family the best and and did everything they could to make sure I was successful. And so to have players like that, you know, just kind of add to what I already thought um, was out there um, has been great.
1: You know, you look the pennant race that you guys had with the Dodgers last year was next level. I mean, it was one of the really historic pennant races. And then here in Toronto, as that was happening, the Jays were going on this big run of their own and, you know, ended up just barely missing the playoffs as, as you obviously know. But as that was unfolding, did you have, it's obviously a different league and you would have had a full, you know, plate at the time, but did you follow the Jays at all? Like were you, were they on your radar as that was unfolding last year?
2: You know, not really. I think, um, I was just kind of more focused on on ourselves, you know, and trying to control what we could control. And, you know, really, we all knew after the break we were like, Dodgers are going to make a push at this. You know, they're gonna they're gonna win twenty games in the last month, if not more. And so we got to be ready to kind of stay right there with them. And I mean, it came down to the last game of the season <laughs> to decide who was going to win the division. And so um, it was crazy. And every game that we played against them seemed like it was a postseason game. Yeah. You know, we had some crazy games, too. I think we walked off on them twice. You know, one of them was a throwing error of uh, another kind of error. And so, Talkman had robbed a home run that they would have walked us off in Dodger Stadium. Like, And this one is caught by Talkman. He robbed him.
0: Albert Pujols came that close, and he may just be finding out right now that that was not
1: a home
2: run. Just the craziest games against them. and So, you know, going into the postseason when we found out we were going to play them, you know, it was like, all right, this is our World Series pretty much, you know. And um, you think about two unbelievable baseball organizations that have never played each other in the postseason. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And I think, I believe we were the first 102-plus win teams to face each other in the postseason or in the first round. And so... I mean, it was cutthroat for sure. And, and that rivalry in general is just, you know, if you're from California, that's kind of the first thing they ask you, unless yeah. you're from San Diego, you know, are you a Dodgers or a Giants fan?
1: Right. And I guess you're you're still, you know, as you come back to the American League East, you're very familiar with the kind of rivalries here. Yankees Red Sox Jays Orioles probably not so much in that conversation right now What's your impression of like where the Jays sit in this landscape as you know, it's a really deep division Um, you've played here before but where does that sit for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think going into the season the sky's the limit, you know on everybody's mind and so Our goal is to just go out there and you know, it's going to be cut throughout this entire season is going to be It's going to be a grind and we're definitely going to get tested especially In the American League East, all the environments are pretty hostile. I mean, you go into Fenway when, when the Red Sox are good, that place is, and it's a a tough environment, but even more so, you know, I was on the other side coming to Rogers Center when the Blue Jays are really good. And so, you know, everybody in the city seems to be talking about them. And so I'm, I'm really excited to get back there and kind of take what I learned when I left the American League, staying in all the same hotels that I used to stay at. I'm a big hotel pizza guy and so Tampa, the Vinoy has probably the best hotel pizza, um, that I've found in the big league. So looking forward to room service pizza, (laughs) you know, it's the little things, but yeah, it's going to be a grind, but I think everybody here is ready for that. And you know, the guys that we brought in, they want to win. And so that's really exciting. Thinking about that Giants team you were just talking about, you guys were
0: so much fun to watch, like from a distance coming into the year. A bunch of veteran dudes. You look at, you know, the year pose he had, got, like under the radar guys like Donovan Solano, like people who nobody talks about, and you guys just kept winning. And I think a lot of people kind of predicted, ah, oh, this can't last, and he just kept going and got to 107. Like, what was the feeling like with that team and the vibe? Like that must have been so fun because it was fun to watch from afar.
2: Yeah, I mean, it seemed like every, at the end of every game, it was somebody different. You know, they came up with a big hit or came in in a big situation and shut the door for us. And so, that was the coolest thing was to see, you know, not necessarily the big-name guys do it because you almost kind of expect that from some of those guys, especially like Posey, Belt, Crawford. You know, guys who we've been watching, you know, win World Series for years now. And so, to have the other guys, the, the late-night Lamonts, you know, Lamont Wade Jr., like... Yeah it seemed like every game at the end of the game, he'd come up in a big situation and, and put a couple more runs on the board. And so to have guys like that, our bullpen guys came up huge, you know, and that was the cool thing. We had so many different characters and we had Tyler Rogers who almost scrapes his finger, you know, on the ground every time he throws a fastball. And so to have guys like that and then Camilo Duvall comes in throwing 102 and with a nasty slider, you know, these guys... um that you see in spring and then to see them kind of come up and have success was really cool. But more than anything, it just kind of seemed like going into the spring training last year, all you heard about was the Dodgers and the Padres. Right. So I think we were all just kind of sick of it. And so we hit the ground running and even it goes back to the year before and COVID seemed like every game against the Dodgers, we played them, you know, just as well as we played anybody else. And so, that kind of gave us the confidence going into last year that we can beat this team and we can win this division if we play well.
0: You mentioned doing your research on the Blue Jays. Like I'd imagine you got a lot of buddies from your time in the L So we talked the other day about how you and Sanchez go back to being 16 years old at the Aflac All-American game. I mean, who are some of the people you got in touch with to ask about the Blue Jays?
2: Uh, so I talked with Steve Pierce a lot. You know, I know Robbie Ray. I didn't really talk to him, but I know him from the, just the past. And just more than anything, reach out to people that that I knew had played with the Blue Jays. Steve Pierce was probably one of the one of the most important ones that you know. My wife talked to his wife, and you know, it's it's the little things that you don't think about going to another country. You know, um, I remember his yeah his wife saying you know they don't have Target, <laughs> so you know that was my wife was like well what do they have, you know? um, and so it's it's like the little things like that that. Um, You know, just talking to people who have gone through it, you know, you ask them, what was customs like? Was it a hassle having to go through customs every time? And that definitely adds a different element to it. And after talking with my wife, it was just kind of like, I think the positives are gonna outweigh the negatives, you know?
0: So you and Robbie Ray know each other. I didn't know that. This past off season, a lot of comparisons between you guys as, you know, quote unquote, two pitch guys. (laughs) Like, what did you think of how, you know, signed very similar deals, like, both, obviously, Toronto had interest in both. Like, What did you think of how that played out? Were you guys talking to each other during that time?
2: No, not really. Yeah. I mean, um, me and Robbie, we don't, like, text each other or anything, but, you know, if we're playing against each other, we always kind of try to just say hi. You know, I played with him in, on Team USA in high school, you know, and that was uh, probably one of the best – Team USA high school teams ever. You know, we had Bryce Harper was our catcher. It's a good start. Manny um, Machado, our shortstop. Nick Castellanos, third baseman. Um, Jamison Tyon was our number one starter. Robbie Ray was a starter, maybe maybe a bullpen guy. Um, I was our closer at the time. And so it was just a ton of guys who, you know, now have obviously had great careers. So it's really cool to kind of sit back and see that
1: so you look back to that time you were drafted in 2012 and kind of obviously came up as a top prospect. Since then, you've taken a lot of different strides in different directions and you are a different pitcher now than you would have been then. So what are the kind of biggest strides? Like when did you kind of become this fully fledged, like current version of yourself that we see, you know, getting Cy Young votes?
2: Um, I would say it kind of started, you know, I got traded in 2018 to the Braves um, from Baltimore and The Braves were the first team that was like, hey, we want you to pitch up in the zone and throw your split way more. You know, the numbers on it are great. You just need to throw it more. And I made 10 starts with them that year, and I think I was like 6-3 and with like a 2-8. I was punching out more guys than I ever had, and the swings that I was getting was kind of reminding me to like back when I was in high school and college, you know, just kind of getting some like ugly swings from some really good big league hitters. And so I was kind of like man, maybe they're onto something. And and they had me pitch out of the stretch. Um, they said my numbers out of the windup weren't very good. And and so I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense if I think about it. But really, they were the first club that was like, these are your strengths, yeah. you know, pitch to them. And then 19, um, started off the season on the DL, tried to come back, tried to do the same thing I was doing in, 19, in 18 um, in the second half with the Braves. And I just couldn't get my fastball up. Ended up going on the DL and – That was when I went down to Florida and kind of revamped my entire delivery. Hmm. I took a video. My catch partner in Atlanta was Sean Newcomb. And he kind of has a big kick out, um, a big left-hander, and the ball just like explodes out of his hand. And so I was like, you know, this guy throws the easiest 97 I've ever seen. You know, he's like 6'7", 260, so that helps too. But... I was like man i'm just gonna like take his delivery and just run with it i was at a low point in my career i was pretty bad for the braves that year and so kind of revamped it completely i was down here in florida at their new facility took a video and flipped it so i could see what it looked like right-handed and that's all i watched for the three and a half weeks you know four weeks that i was down here throwing bullpens um trying to develop some other pitches a cutter Got back to the big leagues, had a great first start, and then was just kind of up and down um, after that for my next four. You know, got DFA'd and uh, went to Cincinnati. I would say that's when I got back to just like, all right, I'm in the bullpen now. Let me just pitch to my strengths and pitch really well for them. Had some big situations. I came in and, and shut the door. You know, DJ Johnson was huge there for me over there, pitching coach. And, he had a couple little things, you know, he was like, you're not picking up your target until too late. Hmm. You know, the best free throw shooters in the NBA are the guys who look at the rim the longest. Yeah. And so I really kind of took that, took it into the off season, um, and really just kind of honed in on my delivery and started, started noticing my delivery or my command kind of taking off, getting back to being able to kind of dot up whenever I needed to. And so, you know, then COVID happened. That was probably one of the best things that happened for me because, I had a mound in my garage, and so I just did my dry delivery over and over, and thought about big situations. Um, You know, I'm I'm going through whole five inning outings in my garage. You know, (laughs) Um, punching out fifteen guys in my mind. You know, and you did well in all of those (laughs) outings. Yeah, lots of no hitters. Then, kind of when we came back to you know summer camp 2.0, it was let me hit the ground running with this. Part of the COVID year having only ten starts was like you know, and the giants were like, we want you to do whatever you did with the reds just as a starter. Yeah. And I was kind of like, okay, well I'll only be throwing two pitches and you guys know that. And they're like, yeah, we want you to throw your split like 40% of the time. I was like, okay. You know? And so going into the COVID years, almost like I had a crutch to fall back on in case it didn't work. You know, it's only 10 starts. Like what teams are really going to value, you know, 10 starts. And so, um, did great in those 10 starts, had my highest career strikeout per nine. And then going into the the off season, kind of same thing, just did my delivery, worked on that, tried to hone in on pitching up in the zone, you know, 70% of the time and trying to stay away from the heart of the plate. And really, you know, last season it was, you know, I was three or four starts in and I kind of knew like I'm in a really good spot right now. Um, so let me just kinda keep going at this. And you know, I threw I think over sixty splits in one game last year. Wow. And so that's pretty crazy. And I think I threw over a hundred more than the next closest guy in the big leagues. Man. So that might be like a big league record, eh? I think, I think it could be. I know Mike Scott back in the day right. used to throw a lot of splits, so I'd have to check on that. Cool. But everybody couldn't believe it, you know, after the game, like you threw how many splits, but it's one of those pitches. If it's on, it's on, you know, you just keep throwing it and don't, don't try to mess with it.
0: What's your finger look like after 60 splits in one game?
2: Yeah, it was a little messed up that day. <laughs> Pretty bloody blister, but um, it was a good outing. So
0: yeah, people have no idea because like the the odyssey you just took us through was like five years, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that, and like you you know I think about you and even Robbie as well, right? Putting it together in his late twenties and having the year that he did. It takes pitchers a while sometimes, right? Even some of the highest-touted guys, I think about Nate Pearson, right, who's had all the hype around him and, you know, all the expectations. And he's, you know, taking some time to kind of assimilate at the big league level. I feel like you went through something similar, and Robbie did yeah. as well. I just think for pitchers, sometimes it just takes longer. You can't expect guys to come in and be Acuna and Tatis and, like, hitters like Vlad, I think there is a bit more of an adjustment process.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think as a young pitcher in the game, it's really easy to get caught up in the, well, I got to do this or I got to be this guy. You know, my stuff needs to be like this because that's what the other stud, you know, major league starters do. When my career really took off was when I was like, all right, I'm going to stop trying to spin guys to death because I don't spin the ball well. And so let me just pitch with my strengths. And then, You know, I started noticing that even if I got beat, you know, pitching with my strengths, it was way easier for me to sleep at night, knowing that, you know, I went down against my best stuff. Whereas, you know, early on in my career, I don't know how many times I'd be laying in bed and be like, why did I throw that slider that just spun up there and they hit it 500 feet, you know, in a big situation? Like why, you know, but as a young pitcher, like I said, it's hard to recognize what your strengths are, especially when you maybe have a lot of people that are trying to kind of put their stamp on you. And so once you can figure out what makes you, you know, your best at this major league level, um, you know, the more success you're going to have.
0: It reminds me of like, sometimes I talk to Nate and he says, I just need to trust my stuff in the zone. Like I just need, and it sounds so obvious as an outsider, but why do you think it is that for pitchers, it does take some time to kind of have that Eureka moment? Like you're talking about, like, why did I throw that slider?
2: Yeah, I think it just takes you a while to just not care as much. You know, you care so much when you're a young guy that you can really get rattled and get in your head. You know, you see guys in the batter's box that maybe you've been watching on TV for 10 years. First time that I faced Derek Jeter, I was like, "Wow, this is Derek Jeter, you know? This isn't (laughs) just the normal shortstop. Like This is the shortstop for the New York Yankees. And so... Once you can kind of get that out of your head and once you have success against guys like that, you know, the first time you strike out a big poppy or an Alex Rodriguez, it's like, all right, my stuff plays, you know? And so you kind of have to have moments like that. It's like anything, the more you do it, the more you're going to get better at it. And so it's hard to expect some of these kids that are 22, 23 to kind of have their stuff figured out, you know, arsenal, I mean, stuff wise, when they still don't even know who they are. You know, they're 22 years old. They're still trying to figure out life. And so it just kind of takes, you know, everybody's on their own timeline. It
1: would almost be easier if like you're a pitcher coming up and you just never watch baseball. Cause then it's like, you know, you're you're not like intimidated by uh, David Ortiz. Cause like, you know, for someone like me or Arden, we watch baseball all the time. So of course you have an appreciation for those guys like uh, Derek Jeter. And even hearing you say that, that's cool that you overlapped with him and you were able to strike him out. But did you watch a lot of baseball growing up?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I watched a ton of baseball. Um, that was kind of me and my dad's thing. Just any game that was on, we were, we were watching it and um, would usually fall asleep by the third inning and, and wake up prime time, seventh or eighth inning, you know, crunch time and, and watch the end of the game. And so lots of Rockies games back in the day, you know, it's cool. I told Bo, one of my favorite players growing up was Dante Bichette, you know, and so I hope hope I get to meet him soon. And, you know, the Blake Street Bombers, you know, that was such a cool, exciting time early in the Rockies organization. And so it was really cool. And it was pre-Humidor. So, that, I mean, they were hitting balls, you know, 500 feet. And so it was, it was really cool. Man, Todd
1: Helton, like, you look at the batting lines, he hit like 370 with 48 home runs and like 150 RBI every year. Like, that must have been a fun team to kind of grow up around.
2: I still, when I look down the right field line, from the visiting dugout, like all I see is, is Helton hitting balls in the third deck. You know, there was so much exciting players that were there. You know, I got a chance to play with Ubaldo Jimenez. And when I was in high school, he was like, can't miss television yeah so any games that we went to the rockies really weren't that good i mean they made it to the world series one year when he was there but like those were the only games i would go to is when ubaldo was starting yeah just because he's throwing 100 with a 93 mile an hour split you know and I think at the all-star break one year's like 14 and zero. i mean he was just so dominant um to see a guy like that was was really cool
1: who are your favorite pitchers to watch? You mentioned a few of them, baldo, Sean Newcomb, even you obviously took some stuff from. So past, we've heard obviously about Halliday and his um, his impact. But past or present, who are some of the guys that you really like to watch?
2: Um, Josh Beckett. I used to love watching Josh Beckett. Uh, Roger Clemens. Pedro was was always cool to watch. Huge Doc, Doc Halliday fan. And so anytime he was pitching, I would try to make sure I could watch him. And I mean, his level of, of pitching, just being able to move the ball and and get guys out with five different pitches, you know, was uh, to be able to be here now and talk to people who were here when he was here is is really cool. And, you know, that was one cool thing about when I was with the Braves, George Poulis was over there. And so, yeah. you know, he had he had Doc as a player in Toronto. And so I would always kind of pick his brain about, all right, it's the day after, like, what is Doc doing today? Interesting. How long is he working out for? And he's like, three hours. A I'm long like, oh, time is the answer. You know, and yeah. so that's really cool. That's one of the the cool things about now is, is being able to kind of ask questions about, about the guys that you grew up watching.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I wasn't covering the team when Halliday was here, but certainly watched him. And you do hear stories about, like, there's one story about a player at an ice cream machine and I, I won't say who, but um, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And Halliday apparently is at the ice cream machine beside this rookie. And he just looks at the rookie and just gives him like death eyes. Like <laughs> that is not for you. Like you have not earned that. <laughs> and I guess that's the kind of tone that he set as a player.
2: Yeah. And that's what I've heard. Um, I've heard his like leg routine, like post start is just like insane, yeah. you know. Um, and I used to always ask George when I was in Atlanta, I'm like, you can, you need to get a copy of that. Like, yeah. Give me a copy. Yeah, exactly. Let me get my legs a little bigger, but I think he was just holding out. I don't think he wanted to give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: if there were guys who showed up to camp out of shape and they're doing extra running or something like that, he would go out and
2: like lap them and like, you know, yeah, kind of lay down the line a little bit. It's like, this is what it takes. Mm-hmm. His competitive fire, you know, is kind of unmatched when you, when you talk to people about it.
0: But you think we're kind of learning now, like as well in 2022, it's about kind of working smarter than just working harder. Like, I wonder if like Doc could have gotten more out of his career if he, if he worked smarter than harder, if you know, you know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think there's probably a lot of guys that, you know, had great careers that probably could have even pitched, you know, for five, six, maybe seven years, even, even more And now, nowadays with technology, I mean, we got float beds, we got infrared sauna, you know, everything that you could imagine. If some of those guys had that stuff now, I mean, they'd be playing until they were 50, you know? How much has that stuff
0: helped you as you've kind of gone, come along in your career?
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, um, I'm not a big, you know, I'm in the training room a good bit, but I'm kind of more just, I've found what works for me um, and I'm not going to kind of get away from it now. And more than anything, the thing that takes the longest for me every day is, is taking care of my finger, to be honest. And so God has blessed me with being able to not have to stretch that much, you know, um, but every year it gets a little bit longer. You know, my routine changes every year. And so, you know, yeah, by the end of my career, my pregame routine will probably be even an hour longer than it is now.
0: You gotta be happy with your durability over the last couple of years. I mean, like you said, you've got a blister between every outing, you know, you log in pretty big innings, like you throw hard as hell. Like you, you gotta be happy with the fact you've been able to take them out consistently and not miss a start.
2: You know, playing with Chris Tillman in Baltimore, that was his his motto. Um, and that's one thing that I really respect about some of the guys that came before me here. You know, Mark Burley, you talk about him. He's he's a guy, he didn't care when he was pitching. Like, he's taking the ball every five days, mm-hmm. um, even if he doesn't feel good. And he's going to go out there and and just compete, you know. And that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I'm going to take the ball every five days, and I'm going to give 120% of whatever I have on that given day. And so... You know, for us, uh, you know, we're not position players. We don't play every day. And so to get the chance to go out there every five days, I think it's even more so like you need to bring something to the table when you do play. And so, you know, I try to make every start and, you know, make over 30 starts every year. And that's one thing I've, I've been pretty good at in my career is, is just uh, logging innings.
0: Well, you see guys who have like that three, four peak, year peak in their career. They're, you know, really well top of the league and a bunch of stuff. That's super impressive. I don't think people understand how hard it is to go every year, 200 innings for ERA for 15 years, Burley did it, Mm -hmm. maybe even longer. Like when you look back at that, like that, it's insane to think about what went into like performing at that level, at the level that he was at that consistently every five days
2: yeah and you think about you know just being able to do it in two places that aren't very uh pitcher friendly obviously Chicago and here, from what you hear about him is just his competitive nature, just like Doc, you know they say he wanted the ball if somebody you know needed an extra day, like he's like all right you know i can I can fill in this day for him and so you need at least one guy like that on every staff that is just gonna be a grinder that Um, sometimes kind of has to wear it, you know, but that's, that's what we're here for. You know, Um, I kind of have the workhorse mentality that, you know, if you're scared to pitch, like the big leagues is not for you. And so you better be ready, you know, especially in the AL East.
1: Last one for me here. I'm looking ahead here at the return of fans to Toronto and your kind of debut for you what are you most looking forward to about taking the mound at Rogers Center for the first time in a Blue Jays uniform?
2: I'm just looking forward to being on the the other side. You know, I know how passionate they are on the visiting side. And so, you know, looking forward to having them cheer for me, um, not against me. And so, you know, that's one cool thing. Like I said, Toronto, when, when the Blue Jays are good, the city is just buzzing, you know, and they know who's pitching that day. They know what's at stake. They know when it's a big series. And so, You know, when I was there for the wild card game in 16, you know, that was unfortunate um, that it happened to us the way that it did. But man, that place just erupted and (laughs) the energy in that building, really every single pitch, there was just so much weight on every pitch that night. Um, I just remember my head hurting the next day and I wasn't even pitching. I pitched the day before. And so I'm just sitting there. And so I'm really looking forward to. To being on the good side now. We were just talking about you, Baldo, weren't we? <laughs> uh, do you like pitching at Rogers
0: Center? Like you said, it's not the the friendliest environment for pitchers. Do you enjoy it?
2: Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I've never, you know, I made my debut there, and so it's always kind of had a little special, special place in my heart. You know, when I made my debut, I think it was on a Wednesday, and there was only like 10,000 fans there. So I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, I've pitched there when there's been 40,000 plus, and so, you know, I have a feeling the opening weekend is going to be pretty crazy, you know? And so I'm looking forward to kind of feeling, feeling that atmosphere, feeling the environment and just kind of feeding off that.
0: Yeah. It's going to be electric, man. We cannot wait. Wish you the best of luck this year.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys.
0: All right, thanks to uh, Kevin Gosman for sharing uh, so much insight with us when we sat down with him there at the Blue Jays uh, Player Development Complex in Dunedin. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff there, which is uh, no surprise. Kevin Gosman, like if I've learned one thing so far in my brief time covering him, it's that he looks at the game in a different way. He's a very self-assured guy. He's had quite a journey to get to where he's at. Um, now is as, as a veteran in this league and like as a frontline starter for a, a couple years now and he's got you know a lot of insight to offer and so it's been great having him around the Blue Jays and getting to learn from him and uh, you know I think fans got a glimpse into that thanks to him got to thank uh, Amal Delich and Nick Andrade for all their work uh, on the ground in Dunedin helping put together the audio and video elements of this podcast and thanks as always to Christian Ryan uh, our regular producer throughout the year here on At The Letters. Thanks to you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We're going to be back next week. For Ben, I'm Arden. This has been At The Letters.